If you take your Bibles and turn to uh, Luke chapter 23, we're going to finish up a series today that we've been looking at on some of the final words of Jesus. And uh, we are very blessed here at Heritage. If you've not realized that, we've got some phenomenal musicians. And uh, Brian, thank you for what you do. Um, and wasn't the, wasn't the uh, Easter egg not a good time? Great time. I only found six eggs, but other than that, <clears throat> 10,000 eggs we've come to put out every year, and it's always been a, a good time of connecting with our community. And, and it's not just the heritage. We've been able to expand, and so the community now sort of accepts that as a, as a, as a community outreach, as a community activity for families. And that, to me, is one of the most exciting things because heritage is part of the community, not the community. And so it's very important that we see ourselves. Man, Chris, you look awful sharp this morning, baby. <laughs> My goodness. But we are a part of the community. As we've looked at some of the final words of Jesus, going back, and uh, I want you to turn to Luke 23 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We've been going through the final words, and today we're going we're gonna to take another one of those phrases or another one of those statements that Jesus made while hanging there on the cross uh, 2,000 years ago. This, this statement that Jesus made was made and, and there was an interaction that took place between two of the thieves that were there hanging on the cross, one on the left and one on the right, with Jesus at that time. One of the thieves would basically say, uh, would hurl insults at Jesus, would mock Jesus, and would say something like this, if you are the, really the Christ, if you really are the, who you say that you are, if you really are the Messiah, why don't not only you save yourself, but why don't you save us? But there was another guy on the other side that said something a little bit different than that. And the little bit of an interaction that would, he would have with Jesus on that day would completely change his eternal destination. Because what that man hanging on the cross on the other side would say would be something like this. Will you remember me when you get into your kingdom? And Jesus' response and the words that we're going to look at today are these words. As he looked at him, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, those are some awesome words. Awesome words. Now listen, what I want you to do is I want you to sort of put your, put your uh, tab your Luke 23 if you're there today. And we're going to have some fun for a couple of minutes. How good are you? I want you to think just for a second how good you are. How good are you? And I'm going to give you a scale of 1 to 10 to tell me how good you are. Mark, I want you to pay close attention because I know that you have the ability to skew the results here so, because you're so good. But I want you to, I want you to think of yourself in, in terms of, of 1 to 10, 1 being terrible, terrible, terrible type person, and, and 10 being Jesus. One being like a mass murderer, somebody like Hitler, somebody like terrible, terrible, terrible. Nine being like a Billy Graham or a Bart Lucas. Um, and and ten, ten, uh, ten being Jesus himself. And I want you to, to think about that just for a minute. I want to give you about 20 seconds to, to sort of think about how you would rate yourself. Okay, go ahead and think. Yeah. 
Don't look to the person on your left or right. Just think about yourself. How would you rate yourself? A little bit of extra time we needed this morning. You got a number? I want you to look at the person on your right and I want you to tell them your number. Go ahead. Look at the person on your right and tell them your number. Now look at the person on your left and tell them your number. Alright. I want to know something. Dana, how did you rate yourself? A four to five? You must have been comparing yourself to your mom. <laughs> Mr. John, how did you rate yourself? A number one? You know, the funny thing about this is that you can either feel really good or really bad depending on who you compare yourself to. Because I know exactly what you did. You sort of scanned the audience to see who was, who was it that you could compare yourself to. Isn't that what you did? I know you did. I know that's what we all do. And so you either have the ability at this, at this, in this project to go, I feel really good about myself, you know, or you go, I don't feel so good. <laughs> you know, you, if you're sitting next to the person that, that's has, you know, has sort of been in jail and had all these issues and all this stuff going on, you go, well, man, I'm all right. At least I ain't been in jail. Right, Steve? <laughs> At least I don't have tattoos like that guy. <laughs> man, he's had it rough. <laughs> or then again, you might be sitting by somebody that's really, really has, seems to have it all. You know, they got that new car, new house, new wife, new baby, and everything seems to, everything they seem to touch turns to gold. And as you sit beside them, you're like going, well, I just feel so terrible about things. That's, that's the truth. And we do that all the time. We love to be able to compare ourselves to other people. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story. And we're going to look at the story of two people that according to culture weren't, weren't that good. These were two guys that were hanging on a, on a cross. And if you would have compared yourself to them, you would have felt that you were, you were a pretty good person based on the things that they had done. And here these guys were being crucified in the center with Jesus, and on the left was one criminal, and on the right was another criminal. And let's pick up Luke chapter 23, verse 32, and let's see what these passages of Scripture tell us today. As we look at the words today, you will be with me in paradise. Verse 32 says this, Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So who's being crucified next to Jesus? Two criminals. Two not-so-good people. Not only not-so-good people, but according to the standards within that society, these guys were probably on the low end of the totem pole, if you can sort of get this within your mind. And if we look at it, it was during Jesus' time that crucifixion was one of the ways that somebody could be put to death. There were other forms of, 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 uh, of killing somebody, of uh, executing somebody, whether it was stoning or burning somebody at the stake. 
But the issue with crucifixion is that it was a way of publicly humiliating somebody as well as ex bringing about extenuating pain. As a matter of fact, the word slow and painful death, you know, we hear slow and painful death, the word excruciating flows out of or means out of crucifying. And crucifixions didn't happen in a, in a private setting. They were very public events, and, and these guys were put on public display because they wanted you to know the power and the might and the awesomeness of who Rome was. And so they, here they were, they had, they had pinned or placed these crucifixions like a billboard so that they would be seen, so everybody would be able to see uh, the might and the cruelty of the Roman Empire. And as we've said before, thousands and thousands of people have been crucified. As a matter of fact, stories tell that on one day there were, there were hundreds that were crucified and so many people were crucified on that day that they quit crucifying because they ran out of timber to be able to nail them up. It's a cruel, cruel way. The Romans actually ran out of wood. But the, 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 the truth is this, is that we don't remember, Steve, the crucifixion because of the thousands of people that have been crucified. But we actually remember crucifixion and what took place that day 2,000 years ago because of one man who was crucified, a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on reading as we read on there in verse 34 because the Scriptures tells us how Jesus responded to those people that were ridiculing, him, ridiculing and torturing him that day. Jesus looked at them, and this was another set of words that we looked at earlier on in our series, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, and the crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fashioned above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Prove it by saving yourself. And us too while you're at it. But the other criminals protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so here's a guy who's probably the worst of the worst, who deserve to die according to their culture, according to their systems, according to their rules, and according to their regulations. Here is a criminal, a guy who probably ran away around on his wife if he was married, a guy that probably cheated his friends out of finances if he had any friends. Here's a guy who by the law deserved death and a guy who couldn't do enough right to correct his wrongs. And Jesus looks at him at the last minute, hanging on the cross, and he answers him. And he says this, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And what takes place here within the midst of this story is that, that it completely dis diffuses one of the misconceptions within our society today. That it, it, it turns away, it, it, it takes away an issue that many of us deal with and we say that we've got a handle on. See, there are some of us here today that believe that, we're, that we have a misunderstanding that it's good people go to heaven. And Jesus deals with that issue right here on the cross when he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Good people go to heaven, that's what we say. 
But a question that we would have is how good do you have to be to be able to get into heaven? How good, just how good does somebody have to be? I mean, it's easy for us to believe that, Sharon. You probably have friends that work with you to believe that. Fred, you probably have got friends that work with you down, down where you work that believe that. You have friends or neighbors that believe good people go to heaven. And it seems logical. I mean, it seems logical. I mean, it seems to be fair, doesn't it? I mean, if there's a good God, it would seem that, that he created a good heaven. It would seem that good people go to that good heaven provided by a good God. I mean, it would seem to be fair, wouldn't it? Bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. I mean, you've sort of, you've sort of heard that logic before. Or another advantage of thinking that good people go to heaven is maybe something like this. Well, I will get in because I'm, I'm sort of good. I'm at least good enough, I think. Since I'm not a bad person, I haven't been to jail or I haven't killed anybody. Um, most of us in this room would probably say you're a pretty good person. And you think about that. I mean, sometimes we want to be really humble and say I'm a one or I'm a two. But deep down inside of us, we probably consider ourselves to be somewhat good people. What about this thought? It sort of motivates. If I believe that good people go to heaven, it sort of motivates me to, to do better, to do good things. If good people go to heaven and that's where I, want to, where I want to go, I'm going to invest my life in doing some good things so that I can secure my place in heaven. And if I happen to do some, some bad things, I'm going to try a little bit harder and do a little bit more good things so I can offset the bad things. How many times do people tithe because they've done some bad things that week? We think we can buy God. Or how many times do we never miss church or never miss a Bible study because we want to follow up. We want to do good things. We want to offset the bad things. So if I do just a little bit more good than bad, I'll be, in, I'll be okay. Or the good to God theory. There is a good God and a good heaven and it should be filled with good people. It seems to make sense. But the truth is, is it makes so much sense that many people never look beyond that way of thinking. Some of you here may have even thought this way. But you know what? There's some issues with the good people go to heaven theory. Here's some of the issues. If good people go to heaven, what's good? How do you define good? What is good? Now this is huge because the question is, or the statement would be this, what is the standard of measurement? What determines what's good and what isn't good? I mean, if, if God is going to let us in or kick us out based on our goodness, it would seem logical that a good God would provide us with a good way of measurement so that we would know how good we need to be to be able to get into a good heaven, right? I mean, think about that. And some of you sitting here, well, that's pretty easy. I mean, I mean, that's why he gave us the Bible. The Bible is our standard of good. But there's some issues with that. Here are the issues. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everybody, nobody is good enough. Nobody is good enough to make it. Or in Isaiah 64, 6, we're all infected and impure with sin. We display our righteous deeds. They're nothing but filthy rags. Or in Romans chapter 3, verses 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
and we say that the Bible tells us that we can be good or we can find how good we need to be, but at the end of the day, if you look at the Scripture, the Scripture says none of us are good. None of us are capable of going to heaven based on our goodness. And then there are those people that say, well, I tell you what, the Ten Commandments, if I just follow the Ten Commandments, everything will work out, Byron. If I just adhere to the Ten Commandments, everything will be good. And so I adhere to the Ten Commandments. And I don't want to embarrass you, but how many of you here even know what the Ten Commandments are? I used to play this with my kids. This is one of the ways we learned it. We learned it through a song. Do not worship any other gods. Do not make any idols. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor thy father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not covet. Do not steal. We learned it through a song. And you say, oh, man, I'm, I'm in, baby. I mean, if that's the system of good, I'm in because, I mean, I've, I've not murdered anybody. You know, the Bible says that if you even look on somebody in hatred that you've committed murder in your heart. What about this one? You shall have no other gods before me. Let me just ask, what is it that receives the bulk of your attention and time? The Bible says to love the Lord God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Any pastors? Well... What about this one? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do you set aside a day each week that it's the Lord's day? Or is it Easter Sabbath? Or is it Christmas Sabbath? Or is it maybe uh, once a month that you set aside? Or maybe, maybe we just when you think about it or when things aren't, aren't going so well. How many of us worship God out of convenience instead of conviction? Honor your father and mother. How many of us here that are teenagers or even older adults, we honor and respect our parents that God has given us? You should not commit adultery. This is always a good one because the guys go, well, I've never committed adultery on my wife. The scripture says if you've even looked on a woman in lust that you've committed adultery. And women, that applies to you too in reference to men. No stealing. Man, that's a great thing to talk about around tax time, isn't it? No lying. Really? No coveting. Anybody ever looked at what somebody else had and just sort of had that sort of urge that I really, really want that, what they've got? Lisa, I don't always read a lot of uh, forwards that people send me, but Lisa sent me this the other day, and I had to, you know, this, was, this is hanging in a church someplace. It's got to be Kentucky, Tennessee, or someplace. But these are the Ten Commandments. Just one God. Put nothing before God. Watch your mouth. Get yourself to Sunday meeting. Honor your ma and pa. No killing. No fooling around with another man's woman. Don't take what ain't yours. No telling tales or gossiping. And don't be hankering for your buddy's stuff. <laughs> That's their Ten Commandments they've got posted. But you know, the reality is if you could even answer those things correctly, do you know what the Bible has to say in reference to that? That no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the observation of the law. That no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. See, when you die according to the Scriptures, God's not going to look at you and say, Wow, you know what? You did such a great job of, of observing and keeping the Ten Commandments. You're in, baby. You're in. You've kept the Ten Commandments. I'm going to let you in. But the Bible says this, the last part of verse 20. The Bible says it's, it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. 
The Bible says that the reason that the law was given wasn't because it was something for us to keep, but it was to help us realize how sinful we truly are. I didn't say that. That's what the Scripture has to say. Paul said it in Galatians 3.11, so it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. See, trying to, trying to, to be right with God by our own efforts just doesn't work it's just not enough guys it's just not enough well there there are those that say well let me tell you where i get my standard of right and wrong see god has put this sense of right and wrong within me that i know exactly what right and wrong is and i do what feels right and God will look at my motives and he will determine by my motives that everything is going to be okay. But you know what the problem is with this? How many wars and battles have been fought by people that thought they were doing the right thing? And they used God's word to be able to approve or disapprove what was taking place. And both sides say God is, God is on our side. How many times and still in today's church have I heard um, issues that have taken place over different colors or nationalities where people have been mistreated? And it still happens today. And there are people that will stand in the pulpit and they'll raise the God's word and they'll say this isn't right or this, isn't, this is wrong or this is right based on what I feel. I mean, how many people have used God's word to defend their positions based on their feelings? And if right and wrong is determined by our internal gauge, we find ourselves constantly changing based on our experiences and the emotions of the moments. I mean, the reality, guys, are that things change in life. Things change, feelings change, culture changes. How many misunderstandings that some things that I thought were wrong when I was younger, but now I view things differently because of my experiences in life. Those things that I held on to when I was younger, and all of a sudden I realized that, man, my way of thinking was wrong, but early on I thought it was right. It was my internal thoughts, my internal feelings. How many people around the world today are fighting for specific reasons and believe that they are right? And even willing to die for what they believe in. But just because they're willing to die for something, does that mean that it's right? No. Doesn't mean that at all. See, if good people go to heaven, the problem is that we don't have a clue as to what is good. Because we don't understand what the standard of measurement is. But there's more to this story, Tracy. Because if good people go to heaven... What's the passing grade? I mean, is it 65%? Make a 65 and you can still pass by the skin of your teeth? If we're going to keep score, when do you start keeping score? When does it start? Where in life does it begin? So if you think good people go to heaven, the truth is we really don't know where we will end up because we don't know what counts. We don't know how good you have to be to get in and we don't even know how to keep score. And the good... People go to heaven philosophy is something like this. It's like some of our girls that, that race and they run and, and they, they, they decide that they want to go down to Tampa and they want to go, they want to go run, run this race in Tampa. So they go down and they apply and they're standing at the registration table and they're saying, well, there's six of us ladies that we'd like to run this 5K. And they, the guy says, okay, it'll be $25 a piece. Perfectly good. Okay, listen, can you tell us where, when the race begins? Well, we really don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, we, we just don't really know. 
Um, well, can you tell us how long the race is? Well, we really don't know that either. Well, can you tell us maybe where are you going to run? Well, we haven't figured that out yet. Can you at least tell us where the finish line is? No, I'm sorry, we can't tell you where the finish line is, but when you get there, we'll blow a horn and tell you you've made it. <laughs> I mean, think about that. If we think that good people go to heaven, it's something along the lines of that philosophy. But you know, the other thing that comes about when you start thinking about good people go to heaven is that if you believe that or people believe that, it means that you're calling Jesus a liar. Now, I've met a lot of people in my life. I don't think I've ever met anybody, Cliff, that would be bold enough and willing enough to call Jesus Christ a liar in our day and time. That's a pretty bold statement. I mean, have you ever met somebody that said, I just want you to know that Jesus lied? Back in Jesus' time, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they believed that Jesus was a liar. And their job description was something like this, follow the laws and do good things so that you can be good people. And Jesus said to people that day in Matthew chapter 5, 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the goodness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, even back then the question was, how good do we have to be? Can we be good enough? And Jesus said the best of the best weren't even good enough. So if the best of the best, the people who kept the laws back then weren't good enough, who was good enough? See, what Jesus taught us when he was on the cross, he didn't teach us that good people go to heaven. But what he taught us was that forgiven people go to heaven. And that's exactly what our passage of Scripture teaches us today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And here's the criminals hanging on the cross beside Jesus. And Jesus asked, he asked Jesus to remember him. And you know, the funny thing is that criminal that was hanging there that day that asked Jesus to remember him had no time to go back and undo the things that he had done in his life. He had no time to go back, Troy, and, and, um, and work off the debt of sin that he had created in his lifetime. He had no way to go back and to undo what had been done. And what Jesus taught us that day while he was hanging on the cross was that it wasn't good people that go to heaven, but it was forgiven people. And that our eternity in heaven, Steve, doesn't hinge at all on our goodness, but all on his greatness. Isn't that awesome? And so the invitation to heaven isn't just open to those of us that are good, but it's open to every one of us that are willing to call on the name of the Lord. It was in Romans 10, 13 that Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Who, who is whosoever? Who, who is whosoever? Every one of us. And it wasn't based on your goodness. And it wasn't based on your position in society. And it wasn't based on how good your family is. And it wasn't based on what position you held in the church or how many times you had been to church. It was, it was based solely and completely on the fact of what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And you know, there, is, there isn't a bunch of ways to get to heaven. Some of us think there are multitudes of ways to get to heaven. But the scripture teaches, and John said it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Man, I am so glad that salvation isn't a system. But it's the result of a relationship. 
And the most awesome part about salvation is, Steve, that it's available to any one of us, regardless of where you are in life. Doug, regardless of what you've done, how you feel, what you think, what somebody else even thinks about you, it's available to every one of us. And the requirements, the requirements for salvation... John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. See, listen, th these were two thieves that were hanging on the cross. Both of these guys were guilty. Both of these guys would die that day. But both of these guys needed a Savior. Both of them heard the same thing. Both of them have experienced the same thing during those last hours. But the clue was one was forgiven and one wasn't what was it that made the difference one believed one trusted the other refused it's a choice it was a choice and the one cried out and said father remember me why because he believed and he trusted. See, there are some of you here today that have believed in Jesus and you've trusted in Christ. Fred, when did you trust Christ and believe that he, is, he was the Savior and that he died on the cross for you? Six years ago. Six years ago. Mark, what about you? Four months ago. Four months ago. Mr. Al, what about you? 65 years ago. Oh, Lord of mercy, 65 years ago. Right. Steve, what about you? 2000. 2000. Bart? High school. Zach? Six years ago. Danny? Five years ago. Five years ago. Connie? Twelve. Age 12. Age 12. Oh, you're thinking two, uh, 1912. I was six to say, whoo, you look good for 1912. <laughs> Byron? 1974. 1974. Wendy? Yes. Danielle? March 6th. Kenny? March 3rd. 2011, two months ago. Chad? 35 years ago. 35 years ago. Dottie Nelson? 1963. 1963. Awesome. Larry? Four years ago, sitting in an office in Leesburg. John West? 1970. Kelly? 17. Not... Not 1917, but when you were 17. Multitudes more of you guys, I could ask that question. And so like the thief hanging on the cross, you cried out at that moment and you realized your sin and you realized that it wasn't about your works. It, was, it wasn't about your abilities, but you cried out that at, that at that time and you said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know what the Lord said to you? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. What is it that keeps a person from trusting Christ? What is it that keeps someone from coming to the place to say, I believe, I want to trust? 
Today it would be an awesome day for some of you to move from trying harder to trusting completely. To get off the spin wheel that that rabbit gets on or that little mouse and he begins to run around, run around, run around. Because that's the theology that the devil would love for you to believe. He would love for you to believe that you can save yourself and if you just work just a little bit harder. But Jesus doesn't teach that. He teaches salvation by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And all it is, it's a gift. It's a free gift. And it's something that you receive when you don't deserve it. And how is a person saved? Paul said in Romans 10 that if we confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What do you do? You realize your condition just like that, that thief did that was on the cross that day when he cried out, Lord, I believe. Because it was his belief in the fact that he was a sinner and that Jesus was the Savior that saved him that day. And the same can be here for you in Easter in 2011. I'm often reminded of a story, and I share it from time to time. I use it an awful lot in funerals, and some of you have heard it, and I'll tell it again because I like it. Um, reminded of the little boy that was walking through the graveyard with his, his little handy-dandy uh, scout's knife in his hand, and he's reading all the tombstones, the names on the tombstones and the numbers, and you've probably done that before. You've probably got off and, and, and looked at a, at a graveyard, and you've started to read the, the, the words on the tombstones, and you looked at the dates and the times to see how long somebody lived and who, was, who, had, who had lived the longest and who had lived the shortest amount of time. And, and the little boy, as he was walking through the graveyard, came upon a, a tombstone, and it read these words. Paul, stranger, as you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. And the little boy sat down, and he took that little pocket knife out, Amy, and he etched these words, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. In the twinkling of an eye, there is no guarantee any of us will be here. We didn't know Butch a month ago when I left that when I came back that he wouldn't be here. Listen, guys, there is no guarantee for any of us. And my plea for you is don't wait. Don't wait. Don't say I've got more time. But if the Lord is pressing on your heart today and the Holy Spirit is pressing on your heart, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? Because today could be your day. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful. Um, as, we, as we go back and we read the scriptures, Father, it isn't good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people. There's some of us in this room that if we were to put ourselves in position with other people, we were to look at other people and we were to to gauge our, our goodness based on them, we would probably shore up pretty well because in societies, 
in society's uh, culture, we're pretty good people. We pay our bills and we don't beat our, our spouses and, and we go to church every once in a while. It's not good enough though from what I read in scriptures. There's a lot of good people that are going to spend eternity in hell separated from the Father because they've never cried out and said, Jesus, I believe. I believe. But if you're here today and you see yourself as a sinner and you understand and you realize that, that you're a sinner, the scripture teaches us exactly what we, want, what we need to do if we come to that place that we want to trust Christ. Number one, admit our sin. Number two, believe that Jesus died on a cross and trust him and commit to follow him. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, why wouldn't you make that decision today? I'm not going to say that trusting Christ is as easy as a prayer, but it begins with a prayer of you saying something like this. And if, if you're here today and, 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 and you're at that place of saying, I want to trust Christ, I want to follow him, I believe you can pray something like this, Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Jesus, I, I'm like that thief. No, I haven't, I'm not, have done anything that's worthy of death, but, but Lord, I know this right here, that I'm a sinner and that I, I need you, and I believe that you are my Savior. I'm a sinner, and I know that I need to trust you to be able to go to heaven. I know that I'm not good enough, but today, Lord, I want to trust you. Father, I thank you for making it very simple. I thank you that you made it so that every one of us have an opportunity to receive Christ, especially me. In Jesus' name, and if you prayed something like that today, and if today you're saying that I want to cry out and I want to follow Christ, as Brian plays, I just want you to stand. Your head's bowed. If you're here today and you're saying, I just want to follow Christ, I want to trust him. I want to say yes. I don't want to believe in my goodness anymore, but I want to believe in what Jesus died on the cross. As Brian plays, I just want you to stand where every head is bowed. I just want you to stand right there where you are. Anybody? I don't want to believe in my goodness. I don't want to believe in my abilities. I don't want to believe in any of that anymore. But today I want to believe that, that Jesus died on a cross for me. Is there anybody here that would say, be willing to stand and say, I believe. I want to trust Christ. Anybody? Maybe you're here today and And there's been a time in your life when you've, you've cried out to the Lord and you said, I've trusted him. But if you do some self-examination, you're not living for him right now. Would you be willing to stand and say, would you pray for me today? We aren't saved by our works, but the scripture teaches us that you'll know by the fruits that they bear. Anybody that would be willing to stand today Looks like we just have a lot of good people here. Anybody? Father, the depths of your scripture are so enlightening, Lord, when we spend time in them. And the reality of what we've learned today, dear Jesus, is that it's not good. 
No, there's nothing good within us. The only good thing within us is you, is Jesus Christ living inside of me. Father, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, that those of us that are Christians here, that we would understand, Lord, we've been saved to live for you. And God, to, to live out a heritage of faith means to go out into the world and just, and just not talk more about Jesus, but Father, to live for him. It means that when we go into the workplaces, it means that when we go into the highways and the byways of life, that, that God, people recognize us as believers because of our lifestyles. And that's a challenge for us because God, their world says there is no difference these days between those on the inside and those on the outside of the church. And Lord, there's a problem with that. If that's the way we live, God forbid. May people see the difference within us because we're Jesus followers. May we not run and hide, but Father, may we proclaim you to the, to the heights of the mountains, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. May we be the billboard that you've called us to be. Father, I thank you today that, that you provided a way for even somebody like me to know you and that you offered me forgiveness for my sins Father the challenge is for us today is to ask ourselves are we in that place that we need to be in our relationship with God and is there changes or adjustments that need to be made we serve a risen Savior for he's in the world today I know that he is living whatever men may say I see his hand of mercy I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. My Jesus lives. And because he lives, I can live. And because he lives, we can live. And because he lives, we have the truth to impact a world and change the lives of people around us because we have the message of the gospel. Father, thank you for this day. And Father, how excited we are to be able to proclaim the greatness of who you are. May our dependence never be on our goodness, but always on your greatness. And Father, today we say thank you, Father. Thank you, for we serve a risen Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand this morning, and as we leave... We want to proclaim that our Redeemer lives today. Man, it's an awesome day, and I pray that you have a great time, and that this next week, that as you go about your ways, that you'll be a billboard for Christ. God bless.